Welcome to Lost in the Movies. This month's episode is on The Wrestler, concluding a three-film series I did on Darren Aronofsky with Pi in early March, and then the previous episode, which was a bonus for that month, was Requiem for a Dream. I don't have too much to discuss as far as uh, my other work that's gone up since the last podcast, since it was a bonus, it was just a week ago, but I did put up a video on YouTube called New Schedule, Journey Through Twin Peaks 2023, and much more, where I talk about my plans for the next year and a half. So you can check that out. Also on my site, I did a cross-post, same topic, spring update, schedule for 2022 and 2023 video with some text going with that as well, just explaining my process more. And I have a uh, image to go with that where I created a grid of uh, what I wanted, when I wanted to publish each project during which months and so forth. So if you want to know the game plan for all this uh, stuff, links are in the show notes. I also finished fully updating the picture gallery and top post pages on my site where I highlight posts either by images that I've used that link directly to them or picking my uh, what I feel is my strongest or most interesting work from um, in this case it was like the past six or seven months and adding them to the collection that I have on there stretching back to uh, when I started the site lostinthemovies.com about 13 and a half years ago so all of that is there again in the show notes and now let's move on to The Wrestler one two real You really brought it. Thank you. Thank you. You hang in there. You got a lot of ability. Have you ever seen a one-trick pony and feel so happy and free? If you ever well, I was wondering if I could get some more work. All I got is weekends. Isn't that when you sit on other dudes' faces? Have you ever seen a one-legged dog? You have a beer with me? <laughs> one beer. Have you ever seen you have a, a daughter? Oh, uh, my daughter. She don't like me very much. You should call her. And you seen me. What do you want from me? I'm an old, broken-down piece of meat, and I deserve to be all alone. I just don't want you to hate me. This film is, of course, about a wrestler. His name, or his stage name, was The Ram, and he likes to be called Randy, but his actual first name is Robin. And, of course, at the grocery store where he now works, it's at the butcher counter with a big hairnet over his long blonde mane uh he has to wear a name tag that says robin that's just one of many humiliations that he experiences in his kind of trial through this film the first part is dominated by wrestling scenes there's two big matches one that opens it and then later one where he just puts himself through a gauntlet of real pain and the contrast is amazing because for much of the wrestling the whole point is that it's fake you know he is they're not really, you know, all the stunts are kind of worked out. They're still getting a little battered and bruised, but it's mostly staged. Nobody's really injured. They're working together. But this this match in the middle of the film, which ends up spurring a heart attack for him and setting him on a different course, he's rolling through glass, through barbed wire. The guy he's fighting has a staple gun that he's actually literally stapling into his back, and it's just so, so brutal and so grueling. They actually start with the aftermath of the match and they show, you know, the guy pulling him up from the barbed wire and they walk off stage and you're like, Oh, thank God we didn't have to watch that. And then they're like 14 minutes earlier and they just make you sit through the whole thing again, which is just like so, so brutal. But that is kind of the, the moment where everything changes for him. He has the heart attack. He can't wrestle anymore. He gets more hours at work, but Uh, initially it seems in a more kind of degrading way and yet he actually seems to like working at the butcher counter at first and I think it's because 
he actually gets to have contact with people. In a way, he's kind of a people person, and uh, he doesn't get a, much of a chance to exhibit that in the film, except when he's up on stage performing for the crowd. You know, he has a stripper that he's in love with named her stage name is Cassidy and her real name is Pam. Like him, she has kind of this dual identity where she uses her body at work and then tries to separate that from her life. Although in his case, he wants to be that, that body at work. And in her case, she has to do it, but it's, it's not really what she's, she identifies more as, you know, a mother to a young son. And they have this sort of on again, off again, friendship slash relationship where it's mostly through a professional veil. And then she feels a little sorry for him and go out on a date where she's helping him buy clothes for his estranged daughter and the kiss and she runs away. They have a great conversation. You know, obviously I'm going to love this with my decades obsession, but they have a great conversation about loving the eighties and the nineties sucked and all this sort of water under the bridge. That relationship just it doesn't quite work out, but then at the end of the film, she's there for him and it, it just isn't enough. He realizes he belongs on in the ring and he's going to just remain a wrestler. That's who he is. And that's probably going to kill him because if he gets in there again with his heart, the way it is, he's, he's most likely going to die. He's having a rematch with his great rival of the eighties, 20 years after their infamous fight and the end of the film, he's up, on the ropes doing his ram jam, which is his signature move, leaping, leaping, diving onto the, into the ring. We know that he's, it's probably going to kill him. And it's left kind of a mystery. You hear the crowd chanting and then it just cuts to black. Very Sopranos moment, which, you know, that, that final episode came out a year earlier, year and a half, year and some change. So maybe Aronofsky was inspired a bit. Not, not that, there aren't a lot of other films that just cut swiftly to black and cut off the noise, but the significance of it and the question of did they, didn't they, it, that that kind of plays into it as well, you know. So that's in the, that's one way of many that I'll discuss that this film feels kind of of its moment. Probably the core relationship in the film, even more than the one with Marissa Tomei, Tomei is with uh, the daughter played by Evan Rachel Wood, Stephanie. And there's only three scenes with her, but... The father visits her. She doesn't want to talk to him. He comes back with a present. She's willing to go walk with him. They go to the boardwalk, Atlantic City. She actually breaks down a little bit and even dances with him in a ballroom. And there's a warming between them. And then he misses a dinner that they were supposed to have because he goes out, gets drunk, actually has a fling with a woman from a bar who recognizes him. And uh, he misses out on the dinner and his daughter is devastated and says, that's it. I don't care about you. I don't love you. I don't hate you. I don't ever want to see you again. And it's just pretty brutal. And that's kind of the last straw. And, you know, you can't blame her. It's, it's your sympathy is with him in the film, but you realize like he's abandoned her for all these years. And now he wants to come back and have this attention from her. And he's kind of lucky. She gives him any time of day at all. And when he can't, you know, it's, it is, she's not mad because he was two hours late for dinner. She's mad because he was 20 years late being a father. He is such sort of a common guy in the film, working this real crap job, family troubles, living in a trailer. And yet he was a celebrity. He has an action figure of himself. He has a video game, a Nintendo game that he plays with the neighborhood kid who, of course, just wants to go play Call of Duty 4. And that's an interesting contradiction there as well that this character is so ordinary in, in some ways, and yet also 
did have that genuine fame. I mean, the, he wasn't just an obscure popular within his niche. He was like a mainstream famous figure in a, in a way. And now this is what's left. And that's an interesting contrast to have. And, and that, I think, too, sets it apart and gives it uh, that sort of almost more mythic edge. The Wrestler is now 10 years old. It came out in 2008. It was Darren Aronofsky's fourth film. And I think he'd been making films for about 10 years at that point. So right now it comes at the halfway point of his career. I haven't seen many of the films he's made since this. Uh, in fact, this might be... The, oh, no, of course, I saw Black Swan. But I didn't see Noah, his biblical epic. I didn't see Mother, which was possibly the most despised movie of last year, which just makes me more curious to see it. That's one I'll probably have to cover at some point. But I have seen most of his films before this. I, uh, In fact, no, I've seen all of his films before this. I saw uh, Pie, which I covered on this podcast, Requiem for a Dream. The film was selected by Frank, and he mentioned that this is one of his favorite films of all time, and that he, the only Aronofsky film he doesn't like is The Fountain, which he hates with a passion. So I thought that was interesting because after watching this, I went back and I revisited a uh, comment I left after seeing it under a review by Alan Fish at Wonders in the Dark. And he included this as one of his top 100 films of the zeros of that decade. And it's funny because all of almost all of the responses are like negative. Like, I didn't think this was that good, blah, blah, blah. And all of those people like The Fountain. And somebody pointed out, it's like, for some reason, it seems like if you like the fountain, you hate the wrestler. And if you like the wrestler, you hate the fountain. They're almost like two different poles of Aronofsky's work, where one is very flamboyant and grand and ambitious and larger than life. And then the other one is very down to earth and kind of gritty. And uh, some, you know, some people feel like too modest in a way. It's a kind of a uh, you know, a, a story that we've seen different versions of quite a bit, and it's much more based on the actors than the the kind of style, at least from visceral, immediate standpoint. There is a distinct style, I think, in this film, and uh, I I find it pretty absorbing. It, it relies on some sort of visual tropes that aren't always my favorite. There is a distinct style, I think, in this film, and... Uh, I, I find it pretty absorbing. It, it relies on some sort of visual tropes that aren't always my favorite, that they use a lot in the sort of neo-neorealist films of this time. Like, for example, following a character around where you see just sort of the back of their head. Matt Zoller Sites actually made a video essay about this technique, a montage of all these films that featured a camera kind of tracking behind somebody's head. And uh, I think it was probably inspired by the wrestler specifically because it used this so much. And I remember being really impressed by that. It was one of the earliest non-narrated video essay montages I saw. And I really responded to it. I liked it a lot. That's very much a Darden touch, which was, I think, used in a lot of those types of films. At this time, this was a 20th Century Fox film. A big Hollywood star, admittedly way, way, way past his prime, but enough so that now this could be a comeback for him. And a big director who at one point was supposed to do a Batman film. So there was, it's a pretty high profile, but it fits the aesthetic and certainly the concerns and sensibility of films like, you know, Frozen River, Wendy and Lucy, Ballast, the films uh, Man Pushcart, and what was the other one? Chop Shop by Barani, uh, the New York filmmaker. And it fits very much in, in that aesthetic. Uh, a little more Hollywood in terms of the story beats and st some of the stuff. And certainly the fact that he's a wrestler gives it, 
you know, a professional wrestler from the 80s, that gives it kind of a mainstream hook that if it was just about a more sort of a drab guy who worked at a at a grocery store and had a daughter he was out of touch with, you know, that that might be more in keeping with those those other sort of more low budget versions of the story. But nonetheless, it, it fits very well within that aesthetic of the time. In fact, in quite a lot of ways, this feels like a film very much of its time, of 2008 to me. And and that stirs up a lot of associations for me. 2008 is when I started my site. It was pivotal in some other ways as well, in terms of like moving and changing what I was doing and things like that. I was in my mid-20s. And to look back on it now, what it really evokes for me is the end of the Bush era, specifically like the end of that that time period. It was just, you know, I, people talk now about how it's like a month is like a year in the Trump presidency. It's a mile a minute presidency, and it's overwhelming and stressful and upsetting in different ways. The Bush presidency was grueling. It was just really grueling and alienating and... I think a lot of people felt really beaten down by the end of that presidency. And then at the end of the presidency, you had the economic crash hit, and it was really just felt kind of almost like the culmination in a way, even though the the economy had not really been uh, suffering for the most part during his presidency. There had been a small recession, and you know there was the growing inequality and the larger trends that have been happening since the 80s. But nonetheless, you know, that that was kind of the culmination of just these years of war and scandal and controversy and people feeling like there was nothing they could do about it. There are a few touchstones in the film. You know, they talk about Call of Duty 4 taking place in Iraq. Some kids says, well, the previous ones took place in World War II. This is Iraq. There's a lot of non-specific patriotism. Uh, you know, they, well, specific in one sense where they're flashing back to the 80s and he fought, uh, you know, this figure called the Ayatollah, and that's who he has a big match against at the end of the film. And I, I do think, actually, that's kind of significant, where something, on the one hand, it has a particular timely, dated, nostalgic value, where in the 80s, Iran was the big enemy, and they would try to rev up the jingoism. They'd have a professional wrestler fighting somebody, waving around an Iranian flag, and people boo and chant, and USA, you know, and you, you see that in this film. But also there's there's a bit of a contrast there where at this time, certainly that form of blind patriotism, xenophobia was pretty common, but it was much more controversial. People were more opposed to it, uh, you know, with the Iraq war and the state it was in by then. This was the year Obama was elected and everything on a platform, let's not forget, that was anti-war. So it's interesting. I'm talking a lot about politics. It isn't a very political film, and yet there is that subtext there. And I think more importantly, there's just a mood, a feeling of weariness that feels very much of that time. And I think also, of course, in this film, there's there's something to be said about professional wrestling as well. What the audience is expecting from it. Randy at the end of the film, speaking to the crowd, embracing them. They're just really there to see a bloody show. They don't really care about him. However, that's the cynical read of it. I don't think the film really takes that view, and I don't think it really should. And actually, to talk about that, I'm also going to talk about my first kind of impression or encounter with the film back in 2011. At this point, I it had come out in 2008, and I remember it being part of that time and that culture when I was first starting to write about films and everybody was writing about it. It kind of brings me back to that moment, but I didn't see it until about three years later. And at that point... I thought that I had 
quit my blog for good. I thought I'd closed it down after like almost three years. And I was just watching movies purely for the pleasure of it. I wasn't doing larger exercise, wasn't catching up with the director's work or things like that. I left a comment under Alan Fisher's review, which I'll link below. And uh, this was what I had to say at that time. Finally saw this tonight, and I was impressed. I agree with the overall gist of Alan's piece, that the screenplay is not outstanding in and of itself, but it provides the requisite material for something quite good. While the daughter subplot and Wood's performance has come under fire here, I actually felt it was the most emotionally raw element of the movie. I would have liked to see it developed further. I couldn't quite believe that she gives in to him so easily on the second meeting, and we need to see her in more than three scenes for her to become more than just a symbolic character. But her ultimate rejection of him felt brutally real and very effective. Side note, I don't think it would have been appropriate for the movie to explore and criticize the wrestling world more than it does, i.e. somewhat implicitly, because the film is tied to the hip of Randy's worldview, and to him, wrestling is the one area where he feels fulfilled. He wouldn't question its values, and so neither should this particular film. At least that's my feeling on first view. Watching movies lately with no intention to write about them or analyze them, at a more relaxed pace, and with little rhyme or reason to my viewing pattern, i.e. I'm not counting down a list or exploring a specific genre director, I'm mostly just watching random movies as the mood desire hits, I'm discovering that I connect emotionally with more films than during my critical phase, which is unsurprising. This fit nicely into that trend. While at times the movie strayed a bit too much into slightly sentimental territory, the aforementioned way the daughter's walls come tumbling down all at once, or the Tomei character's willingness to open up to Randy, I feel like in real life she would have kept a harder grip on herself. Its sense of disappointment, frustration, and sadness felt very real to me. One aspect where the movie could be considered flawed, though, is that Mickey Rourke is so damn likable. Not just charismatic, but genuinely seems to be a good person through and through. Yeah, he has obviously been an absent father, and ultimately he screws up his reunion with his daughter, but the former is left off-screen, and the latter is an absent-minded mistake. Perhaps we should have seen a bit more of his not-just-careless, but actively selfish side. In this, the wrestler reminded me of Wild Strawberries, another excellent movie with a misstep at its core. In that film, we keep hearing about what an icy, forbidding, cold figure the main character is, yet Showstrom is so sympathetic in the part. It's hard to make a character looking for redemption, while also presenting what made him need that redemption in the first place. Regardless, I'll remember that last scene with the daughter for a long, long time. I'm hard-pressed to think of many other scenes that so brutally capture the cold realization that it's over. Does not come with a Hollywood twist ending, or poetic justice, or anything else of the sort. It's just over. I don't have any listener feedback on this particular film. However, I did once record a film capsule, like about four or five minute discussion on my patron podcast about the A&E wrestling documentaries and uh, particularly the one on Booker T and just some stray thoughts on that. It wasn't like a full review, but I may release that sometime when I do a capsule roundup on my podcast. So I won't post that whole thing here. I did get some feedback about it, which I thought was interesting, which uh, ties the wrestler to Twin Peaks. So uh, some spoilers for Twin Peaks in here, I guess, if you haven't seen the show, but uh, if you have, or maybe even if you haven't, this was uh, an amusing observation by someone writing in. And in the 12th house responded, I must admit to having gotten lost between pro wrestling's ropes. 
During a recent Twin Peaks rewatch, I thought I even noticed a similarity between Audrey's rescue from One-Eyed Jacks and a wrestling storyline from the spring of 1999. The Undertaker and his henchmen kidnap Vince McMahon's daughter Stephanie, holding her for the ransom of Vince turning over ownership of his company. The caveat being that he has to send his arch-rival Stone Cold Steve Austin to make the transaction. Austin eventually saves Stephanie, and afterwards Vince promises to turn over a new leaf and conduct his life and business dealings in a more ethical manner. It might be a stretch, but I thought it was kind of interesting. WWF's lead writer at the time was a man named Vince Russo, who was a huge film and television aficionado, and owned video rental stores before entering wrestling. There is also a more recent wrestling story, John Cena versus The Fiend, that has some Peaks Lynchian elements. Apologies for the wrestling dump. It seems like once you've seen Lynch and Peaks, you see it everywhere. I said, that's fantastic. And I actually would like to know a little more about the John Cena versus Fiend story and how that resembles Peaks. So please write in again if you hear this. So that's it for this episode. Next episode, we'll be starting a new director focus, the third and last of this season, where uh, the theme has been basically more than one film by different directors, so sort of a loose theme. And this time, after Jane Campion in uh, the early or late winter, and then Darren Aronofsky in the early spring, the rest of the season will be filled out by Christopher Nolan. And here's the first of his films, of the two films I'll be covering by him, uh, that I'll be talking about in May. So see you then. That's why there's a third act called The Prestige. This is the part with the twists and turns, where lives hang in the balance. Julie, come on! And you see something shocking you've never seen before. (laughs) 